Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So, I went to a Varsity Boys High School game Friday night, last Friday night, the rematch of two teams I'd seen once before. And normally, I'd give you all the details of who and where and why. But because of what I want to talk about, this is one case where I'm going to be a little circumspect. My purpose is not to embarrass any particular individual or coach or school. It's really just the way into a subject that I know is a hot topic for a lot of fans, and I hope I can provide some insight and maybe clear up a few misconceptions. We'll see. Before the game started, someone pointed out to me that the best player on one of the teams, a senior who I had been told received multiple Division I offers and has committed to one, was on the floor shooting around before the game, but was in street clothes and not playing. This someone uh, knew someone on the kid's team, so he walked down to ask why. He was told the player was not injured. He was simply choosing not to play because his team had played the night before and had another game two days later. And he had been given the option of not playing by the coach and took it. Load management in NBA parlance, or at least that's what it was, that's the way it was described to me by person giving me all this information and I couldn't help but shake my head and decided to put out a tweet about what I was witnessing load management in high school load management in high school high school in all caps in that last sentence with the tagline we've lost our bleeping minds it caused quite a reaction in both directions I'd say the majority were a mix of 
shock, disbelief, maybe a little outrage. But there were a healthy number who suggested the kid or his coach were being smart. Some suggested he was simply saving himself for AAU competition or recovering from AAU competition. Some suggested he was being prudent by avoiding injury from overuse. Posting a story Baxter Holmes from ESPN did on AAU players being ticking time bombs, their bodies worn down from playing weekly tournaments that pack four or five games into a weekend. I know firsthand, having spent several years on the AAU circuit, both coaching and observing as a spectator, that this is the case, and it is a formula that I am convinced is wreaking havoc, not just in basketball, but other sports as well, volleyball, travel baseball, you name it. The purpose, as I see it, of these games, and these multitude of games, are less about developing skills, and primarily for the sake of kids to be seen by college scouts in hopes of landing a scholarship. Even winning and losing the actual games seems to be secondary to showcasing the kids' individual skills. And not surprisingly, it breeds an atmosphere of greed and self-interest. It's toxic. Kids who develop early, who display rare size or speed or general athleticism, are made to believe they're the next great thing before they're emotionally ready to handle it. The coaches, meanwhile, scour the country to connect the players with college offers, regardless of whether the school or the program are a fit, but just to say that their program got X number of players an invitation to play at the next level. It's a recruiting tool for the next wave. And I, from what I've seen, parents eat it up. The desire to say that their kid is a Division I athlete is, man, it's catnip. It is obviously very intoxicating. And I'll admit, I, my, uh, you'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, but I understand it firsthand. So don't think for a minute that just because these programs are sponsored by shoe companies that the parents don't pay either. They do. And not just for incidentals or travel. There is a fee paid to the coaches for their services. I suppose the justification in the parents' mind is that if it results in an athletic scholarship, it's a bargain. But that's a big if. Now, not every program is a sham. I can vouch, again, firsthand, for two that my daughter played for, which makes me believe there are probably a few more. But you have to look for them. And you have to be able to look past the talk and lofty, lofty promises and see what's being taught and coached. And not everybody is equipped to do that. Probably most parents are not. I'll just say this. Thanks to the pandemic, my daughter played in two high-level AAU tournaments. Neither one generated an offer. But she's getting to go off and play Division I basketball next year. How? Why? Because you don't need to see a whole lot of video to know she's tough, fast, and skilled, particularly at shooting. And she's playing for a high school program with a highly respected coach whose stamp of approval means something. I could go on about... AAU and all its ills. I actually could go on about my daughter too, but you've probably heard, heard enough. Uh, in any case, I won't. If you want a real inside view of AA basketball and how sordid it can be, I recommend the book by George Dorman. They played their hearts out. Fantastic book. 
he was basically embedded with an AAU program and followed it to its unfortunate end, at least for one kid. My belief is fairly simple. If you can play, you don't have to worry about being seen. Parents don't have to worry about their kid being seen. A coach will find you. You will get your chance. And then it's just a matter of what you do with it. And most important, if you're prepared for it when it comes along. I simply said all that about AAU because I wanted to explain my feelings about what I saw at the boys' high school game. Now, anybody who's around high school athletics these days knows that it's taken a massive backseat to, uh, to AAU and to parents and coaches and programs trying to get kids or develop kids or it's all about getting to the next level. And something vital is being lost in all of that. The high school experience is different than the AAU experience. Playing for not just a team, but a school is different. And it's something that kids, I suppose those that are going on to play in the pros, miss it as well at the collegiate level. I can tell you from my experience, I, I enjoyed both and was able to do both. And I played for club teams. I played for a really good club team. But it wasn't the same as playing for my high school. Leaving a, a, a legacy and adding something or leaving something behind for the next group coming along. Uh, in any case, I don't want to get too specific about the the boy who sat out the game that I tweeted about. But he chose to go to a school where his degree will get him further than whatever he does on the basketball court. So this wasn't about, I need to protect myself because I'll be in going to college in a matter of months and starting training. And I have a big year in front of me that possibly will be the launching pad to going pro after that. Don't see any of that happening. And it's reflected in the school that he chose. I actually admire all of that. I essentially did the same in choosing to go to an Ivy League school as a walk-on in soccer. I wanted to play in college, and I still had dreams of possibly playing a year or so as a pro after graduation. But it was only to say that I did or was capable than, rather than thinking it was going to be my career. And it was a really good decision since while I was on varsity all four years in college, I had a fairly nondescript college career. Now, I can't remember exactly when I committed to Dartmouth. It doesn't really matter. The thought that I wouldn't play a game for fear I'd get injured and impact my college career simply didn't occur to me in high school. In fact, I tore cartilage in my knee halfway through my senior year, finished the season, went off to Hanover, New Hampshire, played my freshman year, and then had surgery that winter. I had the knee checked out. I was told that it was a little bit of a risk of, of tearing it more, but I was capable of playing with it with enough ice. And I tried to play with a wrap and that didn't work, but I, I got through it. Anyway, I was back on the, after surgery, I was back on the pitch as soon as the doctors let me. I love to play. That's just, 
I love to play. I love to compete. I'd still be playing now if it didn't take me bags of ice, a bottle of ibuprofen, and several days to recover. My trash-talking game, whether it's playing against my kids or someone in my backyard or wherever, is way, way, way better these days than my actual ability. And let me say right here that I believe in innovation. I played some 30 years ago in high school. I believe in sports science and sports medicine. I believe in change. I believe there are smarter ways to train and that rest is an important part of developing an athlete's full potential. I also believe that protecting young athletes doesn't require a team of doctors or orthopedic experts. It requires common sense, patience, sensible parents and advisors, and a firm grasp of reality. The thought didn't occur to me to sit out a high school game because no one ever offered it, in part. I wouldn't have wanted to if they did, but I just can't recall that ever being considered an option. Which is why I can't imagine the player in question would have chosen to sit out one of his few remaining high school games if the idea of not playing hadn't become acceptable. And to be clear, this wasn't about a preventative measure because of an injury or illness, nor about grades or being disciplined. The AAU season was not a factor because it hasn't come close to starting, and the last AAU season ended weeks, if not months ago. And besides, he's a senior. He's not going to be playing AAU basketball this summer, as far as I, I know. I don't know any seniors that are. They got to report to school in July to start training. This was his team's fifth game of the high school season. Now, we're just coming out of a pandemic, but most schools and teams had several weeks to, uh, to, to practice. And before that, there was conditioning and training via Zoom. From what I know, most of the programs in California we're still able to function some way, somehow. And I guarantee you, the kid was playing. Whether it was with a few friends or on his own or whatever it might be, uh, it wasn't like he was starting from scratch. Uh, and his team had played the night before, losing by two. And as I said, they were scheduled to play another game two days later. So it was three games and four nights. I'm sorry. That's not overworking a kid. If if they weren't playing a game, there's a good chance he would be practicing. And I assure you his practice would be infinitely more taxing than a game. The opposing coach sat a starter, didn't, st didn't start a guy who normally started because his team had played uh, an, a double overtime game the night before. The kids still played, still dressed. He simply didn't start. That was managing the situation. Three games in four nights was too much. I assure you the kid has played three games in one day in AAU tournaments on multiple occasions where unlike high school where they play four eight-minute quarters with a break in between, AAU, they play 18 or 20-minute halves. And that, I will wholly agree, is also a questionable 
practice. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, look, the coach's decision to not start his starter because he played, I think he played every minute of the previous uh, of the double overtime. I have no problem with that. That's a measured, reasonable decision. The opposing coach could have done the same, no? And we wouldn't be having this conversation. But not playing at all, completely healthy, just because he could, after losing a heartbreaker the night before, that is somehow noble or wise. I will tell you that the same issue exists in the NBA. And I can't help but feel that that's where this idea that it's okay or that it's even a badge of honor came from. Now, maybe he thought his team could win the game without him. After all, they nearly did. But again, that doesn't speak to load management. That speaks to a lack of respect for an opponent and an ambivalence, ambivalence about playing. Also, to be clear... I didn't care whether I saw the kid play or not. I wasn't there to scout him. I was just curious when I was told he wasn't playing and then somewhat stunned when I was told why. What saddened me more, or saddens me more though, is seeing the treasure trove of excuses presented as legitimate reasons why the kid didn't play by people who don't have one inkling of the actual circumstances. I'm talking about the people that responded to my Twitter post. I had people passionately defending the decision by the kid as justified and that I was an old, out-of-touch ogre for even bringing it up. The guesses and claims about why the kid sat ran the spectrum from suggesting he was overwhelmed by the pressures of meeting academic requirements in school Again, he's a senior with less than a month left of school and already has been accepted, so no. I'm sure you remember what your senior year was like. <laughs> was like. I certainly do. Uh, or that how it's, we, we know so much more about sports science and medicine today, and obviously he was working off that knowledge. Except that high school athletes don't wear bi- biometers. They don't even keep plus-minus stats or minutes played. You think they're monitoring fatigue levels? I'm serious. Look at a high school box score. They don't keep track of minutes. So none of those things were factors. And trotting them out as if they could have been is searching for excuses. And why are we so eager or committed or driven to find excuses and rationale? Why can't we simply look at it and say, yeah, that's gotten out of hand. We might want to pull that back. Somebody might want to have a conversation with the player or the coach. Apparently, actually playing games now 
is viewed by some today as conditional or a choice or strategic. I can only assume those forwarding those arguments never played or competed in anything meaningful. And that's what truly saddens me. We are committed to defending any and all decisions and the right to make them, regardless of whether there's a sound basis for them or not. It doesn't matter if one isn't provided. We'll just make one up if necessary. As I said in my tweet, we've lost our bleeping minds. I didn't realize how much or by how many until I read the responses to my post. What I've also come to realize is that the vast majority of people don't understand what load management really entails or why young athletes are breaking down. It's not simply a matter of playing too many games in too short of a time. It's all the training that's being done to get faster, stronger, and jump higher without understanding that all that additional explosiveness requires added therapeutic attention to the body. Time and money is put into perfecting their jump shot and adding to their vertical and increasing the sharpness of their crossover, but not the importance of stretching, ice, diet, massage, and yes, rest. Load management, in its truest sense, is about having a concise schedule of training and games and therapy mapped out months in advance. Go check out Damian Lillard if you can, talking about how he approaches his off-season, the season, everything that he does in order to what? To have himself in prime condition to play games. To play in the games and play as many games as possible. That's where we've gotten twisted here. Like we think that the games are optional, an optional part of load management. No, it's managing everything else in order to play the games. And it can be done. Now, I'm not talking about multiple AAU. I mean, it's just ridiculous, the number of games that are played. And it's a money grab in a multitude of ways by the people running the tournament as much as anything else. You get people to come to the tournament because they're, they are promised four games, five games, minimum, whatever it might be. I think actually the minimum is three games. You got to win a little bit in order to get uh, another game or two. But you, you may only have to win one in order to get the bonus game. When maybe it's not such a bonus. Having all the medical insight available at the highest pro levels is helpful, but it's not the heart of how this works. For those who want to cite orthopedic surgeons or doctors or whatever, that's, that's, that's not load management. That's treatment of the result of load management. If doctors and orthopedic surgeons and athletic trainers really could anticipate, then we wouldn't have injuries. As a, as a cyclist friend of mine said the other day on a ride, you have to eat before you're hungry if you want to avoid bonking. He'd eat something every hour whether he had an appetite or not. Load management is staying ahead of the breakdown with a logical approach, not waiting until the biometers let it be known the body is redlining. If, for example, the kid was exhausted from the game the night before, 
and was sitting out because of that. And again, that wasn't the case, or at least that's not what I was told. But let's say that was. It wasn't the game last night that caused that. Not for somebody who's 17, 18 years old. It was everything leading up to the game the night before that made it impossible for him to play two in a row. Or what he did the next day in between games. Because once a body's redlining, it's still a matter of getting the body back into the margins at that point in order to compete, in order to play. And that ultimately is what this is supposed to be all about. I know I may be repeating myself now, but it almost feels like it needs to be repeated. I assure you that the kid missing the game wasn't part of some pre-established master plan. There's this too, which I don't know that people consider. A lot of bodies, maybe most bodies, are not built for the rigors of high-level competition. Someone may look like a basketball player, but it doesn't mean they have the DNA that can withstand the natural stresses of the game. They can be 6'8", they can have a wingspan of 7 feet, they can run like the wind. It doesn't mean that they don't have an issue with their joints, some genetic predisposition that does not make them fit to run up and down a court every other day or every day, running three, four miles on hardwood. Genetics are a complex thing. And we've reached the point that some people seem to think injuries are preventable or that they're evidence that someone didn't handle the athlete correctly. No. Sometimes athletes break down trying to push themselves to the next level. Sometimes their dreams are bigger than their bodies and their will won't take no for an answer until it has no choice. Let's also not blame all of this on Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs, which seems to be fashionable these days, at least among some NBA fans. When Pop began picking and choosing when to play Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili, he did so when they were in their mid to late 30s, after having seasons upended because they suffered, suffered injuries either late in the season or in the postseason. Duncan in particular was playing on a knee that required a massive metal brace. And those who want to suggest LeBron James never load managed because of the number of games he has played every season are tree-topping a little bit too. James was just a master at load managing within games. He might be on the court, but there are times he clearly dials back his effort if he feels a game is beyond his reach or doesn't warrant going all out to win. And I say all that not faulting him. It's been wildly successful, along with the fact that he spent, I don't know if he spent as much as he allegedly spends, but uh, the latest I heard from Kendrick Perkins is he spends $2 million on his body a year. He spends a lot, and it's paid off. But he spends that not on the training. He's, I guarantee you he spends just as much of it when it comes to recovery. But if LeBron played as hard as he could, every night or every game that he played it would have been impossible to play in eight consecutive nba finals without a major injury look at what happened to the warriors core that played in less than half that many in a row clay thompson kevin durant steph curry 
They all went down. Speaking of the Warriors, there's also no question that young players are aping what they see pros doing. That the idea of load managing or sitting a game because it <laughs> to avoid a back-to-back, that's clearly out of the NBA playbook. We just know it is, right? So there's no question that young players are aping what pros are doing. Guards are trying to be the next Steph Curry. I can't tell you how many I've seen in games recently launching deep threes on the break, on the break, or driving into the lane and throwing up circus shots, thinking that, well, Steph Curry's, they go in. So it's okay for me to try one of these. Who knows? It might go in. Uh, I can tell you that NBA GMs and coaches are struggling with the concept of load management as much as anyone. Not because they don't care about the health of their players. After all, the success and availability of those players determines whether they get to keep their jobs. It's because the concept is being abused. Teams are very concise, very committed to scheduling things out. Scheduling practices, giving everybody advance notice on what they're expected to do, when they're expected to do it. It is a very detailed, schedule-oriented business. But players now consider it a status symbol to be worthy of load management. I don't know, but I would venture a guess this particular player might have looked at it that way too, the high school player. Because rest assured, not every player has the leeway to take a game off whenever they feel like it. (laughs) I don't know there was anybody else on that kid's team or the other team or anybody that I've seen recently in high school to say to the coach, yeah, you know what, I I think I'm going to sit this one. Again, if it means, hey, look, I already got my college set up. I'm good. I, I question whether I'd want a kid with that kind of attitude in my program, to be honest with you. Again, not what high school sports are all about. Not what, and it's not even high school sports. It's competition. Like wanting to prove what you're capable of doing. Getting the opportunity to prove it. I, to pass up an opportunity thinking I've already proved all that I need to. What? At 18? In high school? So... All this is just a glimpse into the topic of load management and what inspired my post the other night. I know it was vague and I didn't go into details, but that was intentional. It's because I'm not looking to call anybody in particular out. It's not, I don't feel that we should take high school sports quite that seriously. It was more just an observation and a reflection in my mind of where we are. And and what we might want to take a second look at about how everything is being impacted by the NBA game. Because that's my number one concern. I understand that the NBA is a business, but I also understand that it sets the table for how the game is played and approached and viewed at all of the lower levels. And some thinking in mind should be given that. I'm sure that there will be a chance to revisit all of this and delve into it further. But the truth is, it's a science that's still being explored and understood. If it wasn't, Spencer Dinwiddie wouldn't be out for the year. Tyrese Halliburton would be missing the rest of the season. And we wouldn't be going into the NBA postseason thinking, as we often do, 
that the team able to stay the healthiest has the best chance at winning it all. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, or wherever. And uh, please leave me a message. Let me know what you think about the daily Monday through Friday pod. And if there are any subjects in particular that you'd like me to delve into. Can't promise I will, but if it piques my interest, I'd be more than happy to. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.